much like that, we're back. It is the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. Election week now in the rearview mirror, which means, among other things, our schedule is back to normal. We did not do these last week in the classical sense, so we've got a lot of backed up questions. We're going to try and get to as many as possible this morning. As you know, it's a Q&A format at Josh Pate, 706 at gmail.com or at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. Those are the ways you can get in touch with me. Man, I've missed answering these questions. I had some good ones. I'm going to try and lead the show with the ones that I've been sitting on the longest. Now, let me tell you what I really underestimated last week. And in retrospect, I shouldn't have underestimated it. Some of you have made this part of your weekly routine. It's every bit as much as brushing your teeth. You wish we did these things every day. And if I had the time, I would. So as it turns out, I don't know what it was that was happening last week. Allegedly, it was something big that made you guys, some of you, want to escape reality even more than normal. You just didn't want to be a part of whatever was going on in the real world. And then you came to your podcast feed and you realized, oh, it's not there. That jerk. And you let me know. Now, I appreciated it because when you told me I sucked for not releasing two of these last week, you did so in a loving way. I felt it. I could hear that tone in your voice as you typed that you really were coming from a place of love as you told me how bad I sucked for not releasing these. And so, no ill will here. And, as far as I can tell, on the Late Kick calendar, which doesn't hang on my wall necessarily, but let's just pretend it does, Theater of the Imagination, I don't see any reason why we should be skipping a couple anytime soon. So, with that in mind, let's get to work this morning and let's dive into our first question. It's from Otto. This was a good one. I got it like a week and a half ago, I think, and been sitting on it ever since. Otto said, could you write a letter to yourself from this past summer when it seemed likely we may not have college football and list what the summer version of you would never have believed? This is so good. So good. This could be a book. It could be an entire show. It could be multiple shows. It could be an entire series. So, you know, Otto, now that I think about it, this may be our Thursday show on Late Kick Live, not the extra podcast. You know, what? let me table that. Let me write that down and table that. Okay. Um, stream of consciousness here. So the first thing that I would want to tell myself is I would go, dear Josh, I want to make sure that you understand you have to validate observations this year. What does that mean? Well, it basically it means get a minimum of two weeks. Make sure you double validate anything you see because there are going to be some things this year that happen. You won't have to wait long. Week one in the SEC, for example, anyone remember what happened down at LSU? Mike Leach goes in there, Mississippi State. Oh, my goodness. How many points are they going to hang? Is Costello, is he even going to have competition for the Heisman this year? 44 to 34, I think, was the final. They threw for like half a mile. And Mike Leach is a guy that's just arrived. And the air raid has arrived as if it hadn't been here before. And uh, it's going to be Mississippi State making trouble for a lot of contenders in the SEC K.J. Costello, front-runner for the Heisman. Mike Leach, front-runner for Coach of the Year. And then I don't know that they've scored that many points since. So, so I think it's safe to say that a lot of people got sucked into that one. Now, fortunately, I can say this, and you guys probably remember, we didn't. Uh, in fact, I took some heat from some of our Bulldog fans because I did not buy him after week one. Now, that's gone on to be validated, fortunately, on the other end. So we didn't fall into that one. But I did fall for Michigan just a little bit because when they opened the Big Ten season, they went to Minnesota as a three-point favorite, and they won by, well, way more than three points. And they looked pretty good in the process, and now there were still some, some rusty hinges to that team, so to speak. But I had to love what I saw, given the lack of what we've seen offensively from Michigan in years past. 
So I spoke that way. And I spoke in kind of broad terms, as I recall, but I spoke in a very positive and uh, very excited manner about what the future could hold for Michigan football. And I, to be honest with you, I look back on it, and I looked back on the segment in particular yesterday, but for other reasons, and I don't really wish that I could take back anything I said because I didn't make any kind of bold predictions for Michigan this year. In fact, I didn't touch on that. What I touched on was it's refreshing to see that Jim Harbaugh has finally committed himself, it looks like, at least to hitting a reset button or whatever kind of button you want to call it offensively, and changes are being made. I didn't know that they were going to work out week over week every year this or every week this season, and they haven't, by the way, as the record would indicate since then. But I was excited. And to to say that I would have predicted Michigan to not have won another game since then by this point, yeah, I would definitely have predicted them to win more. I wanted them to win against Indiana very bad last week, not because I grew up rooting for the maize and blue, but because it was one of our favorite bets of the week. Still just, um, you know how rarely I use this word, still flummoxed by that result. Flummoxed, I tell you. But yeah, so that's where we are with Michigan. And I hear the rumors and I hear the drumbeat of non-support from Michigan fans towards Jim Harbaugh. I don't know. I had a lot of questions about Harbaugh this morning, and I, I'll just address them here. So if you sent me a Jim Harbaugh question, here you go. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what should happen. That's a really weird situation. He is an atypical situation, he being Harbaugh, because he doesn't have a really, really long-term contract. He's got one that's coming up pretty soon, and they haven't renewed it. So it's it's just it's a really weird dynamic. And think about it from multiple angles, okay? Think about it if you're Jim Harbaugh. Well, you would think that you have all the motivation in the world to win, which you always should, but now contractually you have that added in as just kind of a bonus factor. But then again, you and I... We also don't know what is happening in his head, which is an evergreen statement. I understand that. But we really don't understand what's happening right now. We don't know, for instance, if he has his eyes back on the NFL. We also don't know if he's just a guy. And I I heard someone say this the other day, and I agreed with it. Harbaugh is not the kind of guy that would surprise me a lot if he just picked up and, and left football altogether and went and joined the Peace Corps. I don't know. Uh, maybe he goes and digs wells in Africa. I wouldn't be shocked by that. It would be very admirable work, by the way. We had uh, we had our, our youth group from our church go do that one summer. That is, that's interesting, the way that uh, well work happens in Africa and the way that the water is there. It's there. It's underground, though. you got the driest conditions on the surface, on the face of the earth, but yet the water is plentiful. It's just underground. you got to dig to get it. So anyway, sidetrack, Wells in Africa, Jim Harbaugh, natural connection there. And so I don't know what's going to happen with Jim Harbaugh, point being. But I will say this. I understand the frustration. I'm also not quite ready to hit the dump button on him like some of you are, apparently. And conversely, I would be ready to hit the dump button on some other coaches that maybe have gotten a little reprieve as of late. You know this is not a hot seat show or brand. This is not a fire this guy show or brand. I rarely ever do that, just like I don't question play calling. But I do see the landscape. I do understand what you're saying. Back to Otto's question. Another thing that I would caution myself if I could go back a few months is I would caution myself to watch out for programs that just have terminally wet fuses. Penn State football is a perfect example of this. 
Penn State is a major program. They were supposed to be a major player this year. They were going to be a contender in the Big Ten, and while maybe not quite on equal footing with Ohio State, they were going to be a challenger for Ohio State. Ohio State was going to have to come in there to play. All this has since happened, of course. And you were looking at James Franklin. You were looking at Kurt Chirac coming in as the new offensive coordinator. You were looking at a lot of positive forward momentum. They haven't won a game yet. They're 0-3. They just got skull drug by Maryland. Not in lacrosse, in college football. That just happened. In real life 2020, that just happened. And so how do you explain it? Do you, do you think that Micah Parsons opting out was the difference in three results? I don't. And so the only way I can explain this is within the context of COVID-19, within the context of what it's done to this season. And the only way I can explain it is some programs just have a wet fuse. If you've ever tried to light a wet fuse, you know it doesn't matter. You could take a blowtorch to it. It's not lighting the fuse. The fuse is wet. And that means it's terminal. It was doomed from the very beginning. And I view Penn State like that right now. And I don't necessarily know how to diagnose it. What is the reason? What made them vulnerable to this and didn't make fill-in-the-blank program vulnerable to this? I don't know. Which leads me to the third thing that I was going to write to myself if I could go back three months. I would tell myself proportional impact is not going to exist. So you're going to tell yourself back in August, okay, it's going to be a tough year, but everyone's dealing with this. This being COVID-19 and reduced practice time, losing spring ball having a truncated timetable, whatever the case is, it's, as long as everyone has to deal with it, then everything's equal. It's not equal. It's not. Even though the first part is true, everyone did have to deal with it. If you're playing in the Big Ten, if you're Indiana and Penn State, for example, you've had to deal with the same thing. Uh, chances are you roughly, case by case here, but roughly you're going to have gotten the same amount of practices in the spring in. You certainly got the same amount of work in in the fall because that's uniform sent down by the league office. And so everyone should be okay because you're on equal footing. That's like back in the day when we used to play um, baseball tournaments and it would be raining and you'd be complaining because, oh, I'm, I'm 0 for 4 today, but it's because we're playing in the rain. Well, the pitcher's in the rain. Everyone's in the rain. That's not an excuse. I don't think that's the case here. Even though it is, in terms of expectation, I just think that this thing has really disproportionately impacted some programs case by case, and there are a million different reasons why it could be. Uh, just think about this. This is a pure hypothetical. I would never go down the reality road when it comes to this. Let's say you are a wide receivers coach, and your program is heavily leaning on your position group to pan out. And let's say that your mother and father have both contracted this disease three weeks before the season started. And your mind has been on anything but football. And you've really dropped the ball just because you can't, you can't be focused at work. And you've kind of been in and out of work. And this is not publicized. So, you know, the fan base doesn't know about it. And as a result, your position group's not ready to start the year. And you got a really wobbly performance out of the gate and I mean, your guys are dropping balls and you're dropping games as a result. Like that could happen. And I can promise you it is happening in some shape, form or fashion. It's just not happening equally program to program. That is one of a million different reasons why someone could seemingly inexplicably be struggling right now. And so the wet fuse theory is in effect. And also the disproportional impact theory is in effect, which leads to the final question or the, I guess not a question really, 
although you could phrase it as one, here's what I'd ask myself. Let's go question. I'd ask myself, in August, are you going to decide right here and now how much heat you're willing to put on someone this year? Because if you got a zero to 10 scale and 10 is maximum. So in a normal year, 10 is the possible amount of heat you could put on a coach or a program. I think I'd go no higher than six for this year. And you got to decide that in August because, see, you look around right now and you understand just like I do. And we talked about this in August for the record. Once you get in the season, no one's going to care that it's COVID-19 year or the COVID-19 year. Uh, no one's going to care. It's going to be the same because the games are going to be four quarters. There's going to be a winner and a loser. Uniforms are going to look the same. It's going to feel the same when you win and lose. And so you're going to have the same kind of emotion. You are not going to care about the lack of spring practices you got. You're not going to care at all about how many guys had to sit out for contact tracing week two and week three of fall camp when installs were happening. You're not going to care. And look around right now. When you're losing a game, when your team's been losing, is the first thing in your mind, well, we've got to give them a pass, man. Those, those poor, coachings, uh, poor coaching staff, those poor players, got to give them a pass. That's not how you feel in all likelihood. You got to decide that long before the emotion kicks in. You can't rely on yourself to be rational in the middle of a football season. That's not what football's for. That's not what this stuff is for. You can be rational and you can be void of emotion in the break room at 12.42 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon at work. When you're parked in front of the TV on the couch at 3.30 Eastern time on Saturday afternoon, no, that's not when you're rational. That's not when emotion's left at the front door. It's right there on the couch with you. So for better or for worse, I would tell myself, define it in August. How much heat are you willing to put on someone? That's why if you'll notice, if you've been watching Late Kick Live, I hadn't really, hadn't really been doing the whole hot seat stuff nearly as much as some others have, but I've acknowledged it. I have done that. And you know, maybe I've been fairly forceful in some of my description, but that's only because I probably felt that way before the season started to begin with. All right. Uh, Parker is next up. Really good question there, Otto. Good stuff. I probably went way too long on it. In fact, let's see. <laughs> We're 14 minutes in. Uh, you're welcome, Jordan, Tani, whoever ends up editing this. We want these things about three or four minutes. So naturally, a uh, little 10 minute spill over there. I'm sure that won't hurt anyone. Uh, so Parker's next up, as I said. And Parker says, just based off your opinion of Tennessee, if they go two and eight this <laughs> Parker didn't know. Parker didn't know what we were going to be talking about before this. So please forgive him. He said, based on your opinion of Tennessee, if they go two and eight this year, is Pruitt in danger of losing his job this season? Parker, the answer is no. Let me hit the caps lock button. Caps lock. N-O period. That's my answer there. I don't think anything's happening. Short of scandal, I don't think anything's happening where Jeremy Pruitt loses his job this year. Uh, you got to remember a couple of things here. Uh, we're Really just one. I guess these aren't a couple of things. Just one. His athletic director is Philip Fulmer. Philip Fulmer is a former coach in his own right. So Philip Fulmer is uniquely qualified to understand the struggles and limitations that this season is providing. Uh, he's also probably looking and saying, I'd probably do the same thing. You know, I, I, this is how I picture things happening in Knoxville. I picture Philip Fulmer watching Jeremy Pruitt make some decisions and him probably saying beforehand, yeah, I think that's the right decision. So Philip Fulmer is probably not like a fan. A, a fan could think that. Like a fan could say, hey, I think we should start Garantano Saturday. And then when Garantano throws two picks in the first quarter, say, it was so stupid to start Garantano. Well, Fulmer, I wouldn't think would respond like that. So Fulmer watches a lot of practice, too. So I picture 
him endorsing a lot of the decisions Pruitt's making, therefore thinking to himself, well, I, I can't justify myself being mad at it once they don't work out because I would have done the same thing. So I picture that going that way in Knoxville. No, I don't think he's going anywhere this year. Now, here's the bigger question, because there's a big gap between you're completely safe and you're fired. And that middle ground's where we hang out at 98% of the time. And the middle ground's probably where Pruitt's going to be. So what changes does he feel need to be made? Famously now, he fired a defensive line coach in the middle of a game, in the middle of a season. Who among us hasn't done that? And... um. He's got to look at his offensive product right now, even even Jeremy Pruitt, the style he wants to play. He's got to look at his offensive product, and he's got to go, woof. And so i got to believe that they understand changes have to be made. Now, I also have to believe another thing is probably in play. He'd probably love to play Harrison Bailey. For whatever reason, they don't trust him enough right now. And so he's seen mop-up duty. But, you know, as I said the other night, I felt like when he finally got put in the game— he got put in the game, and then Jim Chaney heard in his headset, and then Jeremy Pruitt came in and said, if he throws the ball, I'm going to stab you in the neck. That's a promise. I'm going to stab you in the neck. Okay, send him out there, have him hand the ball off. Until the game's on the line or it's fourth down, then let our true freshman quarterback throw. Let's let our true freshman quarterback, who we haven't trusted to put in games in regular time, let's put him in to run two-minute. That, mm, mm. I felt your anger on that one. So I wonder philosophically if some changes could be coming in that department in the offseason. But short of that, no, I don't think he's in much trouble. Jeff is up next. Jeff, friend of the program, says, if you could create any college football show you wanted, what would it include? Jeff, I got a concept that I don't think we could ever make happen. But that wasn't your question. Your question is, anything I want, what would it include? So, Jeff, here's the idea. I would love to be able to take a coordinator or a coach, and I would love to be able to scan message boards or scan post-game call-in shows, where a lot of you tend to complain about play calling. And I almost never do it, and almost just left the station. I never do it. I had a Zoom consultation with a kid last night, and I was talking about this very thing. He asked me, you don't do that. Yeah, you're right. Why don't you do that? I said, well, I'm not qualified to do it. Because if a coach wanted to, they could barge into my studio, drag a grease board in behind them, and run circles around me, talking about designing and scheming and calling plays in a football game, just like they could do with all of you. Some of you just don't realize this, though. So here's the show idea. The show idea is that we find the person who is complaining on the message board, we find the person who's complaining on the post-game call-in show, and then we have the coach responsible for calling the play, and they debate them back and forth. But the coach brings with him every bit of information he had, every bit of scouting advice he had, every bit of film study positionally and collectively that he had, every grade he has for his own player, every tidbit from self-scouting that he has, every pre-look they gave you defensively, every check it automatically went into on your play chart offensively, every audible that was called, because keep in mind, some of the plays that end up being run are not even the plays called. I don't know if someone realized that, but every bit of lack of execution that occurred, which meant maybe if your wide receiver was supposed to run a five and out, but he ran a five and in instead, you know, that could, uh, I don't know if you realize this, it could change the outcome of the play. Every single thing, not to mention just the overall nuts and bolts of the play design itself. And I would love to watch 
Joe Q fan who calls into the postgame show and talks about how predictable and bad their play calling is debate against the actual play caller. Do you understand what kind of bug on windshield result you would have there 99 times out of 100? And do you understand how thoroughly you would expose a coach if he wasn't able to bug on a windshield a fan? If a fan were ever to actually run circles around a play caller, then he would immediately be fired before he even got back to the office. So either way, we would have a phenomenal result on my new show that we'll never actually be able to do, Jeff. But if we do, you and I can probably go in 50-50 on that. Speaking of the quarterback position, speaking of major programs, speaking of drama, thinking about all the intrigue that not only draws you to the television screen, but what's going on in the Southeastern Conference right now at the quarterback position is juicy enough to draw your grandmother, who doesn't even care about football, to the screen. Michael's got a good question here. I'm hopefully going to deliver a good answer. We'll do it right after this. Michael asks the golden question from Tifton to Valdosta, from Clayton to Rome and everywhere in between in the great state of Georgia, my home state. They're asking this question. Where does Georgia go from here at quarterback? (sighs) Let's all take a breath together. I'm scanning dogs247.com this morning before I record. It is Tuesday morning, probably the same day you're listening to this. And I look at Jake Rowe's practice report from last night. We had heard some rumors, and he validated them. JT Daniels does exist. He is physically, he is in the flesh in Georgia. And he ran with the ones at practice last night. (gasps) That's right. And this isn't a bye week. Georgia's got a game. Coming up, they're going to Missouri Saturday. They're a 13.5-point favorite at Missouri. Missouri's off a bye week. Georgia's beat to death. They just lost to Florida. I don't know how many players are going to be missing this week. And lo and behold, here comes JT Daniels. So Michael, I've answered this question a million times about JT Daniels. I'm just going to take Kirby Smart at his word and some of the folks around the program. I have no choice but to take them at their word when they have told us Daniels isn't ready. Now, what that could mean is, well, maybe the stability of his knee wasn't quite where they wanted it to be. It could mean that. It could mean that well, he's just not up to speed on the overall offense yet. It could mean that. It could just mean he hasn't been good enough in practice. And I know that's a faraway concept, given how many stars were next to his name back when he was recruited, but that could be the case. So whatever the case is, listen, I'm excited one way or the other to finally see him on the field. Now, this is no guarantee he's starting Saturday. I have no clue if he's going to start Saturday. I don't know if they have a clue yet. It stands to reason you're not going to run a guy with the ones and waste reps on him if you don't think there's a serious chance he could start. So let's ask ourselves this, because this is the really fun question. The moment that it was even floated out there by some of our folks on the ground in Georgia that Daniels could see really meaningful action, uh, translation, he could start Saturday. I asked this, well, yeah, what if he's terrible? So that's the first thing. What if he goes out there and he just, ooh, it's bad. And, and you, five minutes into the game, look to your buddy next to you and say, oh, that's why he wasn't starting. Well, that could happen. Could happen. But let me take you on the other side of the coin here. We flip it up in the air. and That was a coin sound. I'm not very good at it. Sound effects aren't my thing. But it lands on the other side of the coin. Here's what's on the other side of the coin. JT Daniels, uh, we're, we're in Columbia, Missouri, Saturday. It's the end of the first quarter. He's already seven for nine for 153 yards and a touchdown. (laughs) I know how I'll respond. I want to ask you, Georgia fans, how are you about to respond? 
you know the answer. We were talking about wet fuses early. You better hope your torch is not wet because you'll grab your pitchfork in one hand and you'll grab that torch in the other hand and you'll light that torch and you will begin your march to Athens, Georgia, if you're not there already. Because here's what you're going to want to know. And it will be probably the most important press conference ever for beat reporters who ask questions to Kirby Smart to allow you to just work through them, your words out of their mouth. Kirby, why wasn't he playing before now? So I don't necessarily know what I would love to see the most Saturday, but out of sheer morbid curiosity, I really want to know if JT Daniels starts and he has an excellent afternoon. Everybody in the everybody in the college football world, much less just the Georgia sphere, is going to want to know what did you never see this out of him? Did it take being on the field at Missouri for him to all of a sudden shine? And that would be yet another in a long line of potential uh, quarterback faux pas, if you will, that Kirby Smart has committed at Georgia, and most of you have not forgiven him for the Justin Fields deal. So. Remains to be seen there. I don't know. I think they'll probably run the ball about 75% of the time Saturday. I could easily see that. I could easily see Kirby Smart saying, man, JT's looked good so far. All right, get Zamir involved. Let's go run it, run it, run it. Halftime. All right, we'll get out of here. We'll we'll win 14-3 to like we did against Kentucky. Next question here is really good. It's from Matthew. Had not thought about this before. Matthew said, I don't quite know what to make of the cannibalization at the top of the American Athletic Conference this year, and if it makes them better or worse. Do you think parity or strength at the top is better for the perception of a conference nationally, and what do you think actually determines how good a conference is? Well, Matthew, I think the answer is both, so you put it out there as an either-or. I'll take parity and strength at the top of the conference, because you really have it right now. So with Cincinnati... Cincinnati's still undefeated, period, and they're, well, everyone's record in conference pretty much reflects what they are nationally this year, but Cincinnati sits here undefeated. What are we? We are November 10th today, and Cincinnati's still undefeated. They are ranked in pretty much every top 10 that I've seen out there. Now, I got to be honest with you, like I've told you before, I couldn't tell you today if my life depended on it, where Cincinnati's ranked in the AP poll. Have no clue. I've looked at it still one time this year, and ironically, it was earlier this year I wanted to find out where Cincinnati was ranked. So I know they're in the top 10. I don't know where they are. But the point is I know they're undefeated right now. And so you've got the strength. There's the bona fide strength at the top of the conference. But then Tulsa's also in there. I don't think Tulsa's lost a conference game yet. Uh, SMU has had a really good year. And SMU's had some big-time injuries. I remember talking to Sonny Dykes a few months ago. Actually, we had an interview with him that we put up. And at the time, we didn't know if we were going to have a season and he was really distraught because he knew he had such a good team. And like, is this going to be the year? Is this going to be the team that fate takes away from me? So they've been really good and could be better, I would say, without the injuries. But think about what I just said. I said, you got Cincinnati and you got Tulsa and SMU. I haven't even mentioned Memphis and UCF. Those are programs that would normally be right at the top. So my point is, I don't know that the quality has necessarily eroded away from UCF and Memphis. Maybe they're not quite to the degree they normally would be. But the point is, there you have it, Matthew. You got ingredient A and ingredient B. You got a really solid team at the top in Cincinnati who continues to surge. They continue to exceed expectation every week. And then you've also got your Tulsa's, your SMU's, Memphis, UCF. I mean, that's, that's getting close to half of the conference at that point that are really performing at a very good level. And so you have both. Um, here's, a, here's a fascinating case study. Don't know how it would turn out. 
But if I could just take the AAC and I could take the Pac-12 and just seed them up and let them play next week or give them two weeks for preparation, how would it turn out? Because you'd have Cincinnati, Oregon at the top, obviously, but then you'd get a bunch of matchups like Memphis, UCF, like you'd get them playing um, USC. I don't really know. I don't necessarily know how to power rate the Pac-12 right now. It's the only reason I hesitated. So, I mean, you'd have Washington State and then Colorado and Arizona and Washington. Like, how would those matchups shake out? I think that's a really fun question that I don't think we're going to get the answer to. Maybe, I don't know how bowl season is going to work either, but it's just kind of an interesting case right now. I, I think that a lot of people may be sleeping on the AAC more than they do because normally it's, okay, we got, we got a bunch of undefeated teams, and then they're going to play each other in the, at the end of the year. Well, no, Houston's got a couple of losses. I didn't even mention Houston, by the way. Memphis, Central Florida, they, they got some losses. Well, does that mean the conference isn't as good? Or does that mean the collective brand has risen to the point where you got the same deal happening there that SEC fans used to always say happens to them? We cannibalize ourselves. You used that word, Matthew. I think it was very appropriate. Cannibalization. That may very well be what's happening there. What's happening here is we got Late Kick Live coming up tonight. And it's going to be an interesting show because we don't have the heaviest schedule this week. And and some games we don't even know if they're going to happen or not. So... I'm doing some different things tonight conceptually. You'll have to tune in to find out what. But we're going to have maybe a little bit different show. It's not going to be like it's a special broadcast or anything. But we'll go with a few different routes maybe that we haven't so far this year on a Tuesday. Tuesday is normally our prediction show. A reminder, if you want to get questions in for Late Kick Extra, and I'll, I'll have some open slots for Thursday, you can email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. Strongly encourage you to do that regardless. Have a lot of betting picks that we put out last minute that you're not getting unless you follow me there. And whatever the case may be, though, I hope you tune in tonight and subscribe to not only the podcast, but also the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel while you're at it. And I hope you have, among other things, a very good Tuesday. I appreciate you so much for tuning in. I'm Josh Pate here for Tanya and Jordan on the producing side of the curtain. Have a great day and God bless. God bless.